Hey, 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 everybody, and welcome to another episode of Life After Life with me, Sandy Byrne. And on this episode of Life After Life, I'm so delighted to be joined by Linda Pollio uh, from Sedona in Arizona, I believe. So she's taking all of the heat over there. We had a guy on recently from Florida and we gave him a hard time over the heat. So we're going to do the same thing <laughs> with you. And, you know, we have had a little bit of heat. So today in Ireland, it's been about 21, 22 degrees, which for um in your currency would be about maybe about 45 50 um oh, fahrenheit okay. so kind of what temperatures are you dealing with over there at the moment um well it's actually cool today it's only going to be about 90 fahrenheit oh, is that all? But, um, <laughs> well, it's very so it's really not that bad and uh but it will get but we are having the monsoons have um moved in so now we'll start raining a little bit every day which actually keeps it down and it's beautiful here. That's what happens in the high desert is you get the monsoon season, which rolls in. This is early, but yes. um, usually it, it comes in like early, mid-July. And then it rains a little bit every day, keeps things cool, keeps things a little bit moist because we have a big drought out west here. And it's kind of like that in Florida as well. I know we're not going to spend the whole time talking about the weather, but I, I guess it's the same idea in Florida. You'll get like a real huge downpour, but you're dry again in like 20 minutes. So nobody really cares. It kind of cuts the weather. So just to let people know who you are, um, Linda. So Linda is a consciousness doula and she's going to explain all of that to us. She's also an author of the multi award winning novel, Trusting the Currents, which she's also going to tell us about. But I know your background is in advertising. Is that right? In the United in New York? Yes, I was. I lived in New York for most of my adult life. I was born in New Jersey, but I lived in New York and I did New York well. I worked in advertising. I ran new business for ad agencies and I worked with all different kinds of companies, all different kinds of levels of, uh, of uh, personalities. And I did that for quite a while until I started getting involved in the whole consciousness, conscious business um, practices. But um, my, I hail from an advertising background to start with. And it was, it was a great way to start because it gave me an enormous amount of skills. A hundred percent. And, you know, I always feel that anybody that's working in this industry, um, the holistic, any sign of the holistic industry, that to have, a, if you don't mind me saying, I'm, I'm doing inverted commas with my fingers, a normal life beforehand, it gives you so much real life experience that you can draw on. And let's face it, mm -hmm. that's why we're here as spiritual beings is to get the life experience. OK, so tell us how you moved from advertising to the holistic side because i think it involves reconnecting with your dad is that right yeah well i have to say i was born this way i was like you from the time i was born i don't remember another way where i wasn't communicating with insects or having visitations in my room or knowing things that no one else knew around me and um i thought it was normal for a long time and but then i started getting a lot of not so positive feedback from family and friends so i learned to just keep it quiet and That's then when too. i was in my 20s then then was in my 20s um i went to school i basically went the normal route and that's in my early 30s i got into advertising i had bounced around from job to job i didn't really know what i wanted to do but i knew that i had a place in the world like I knew I had a purpose I didn't just didn't know what it is and I knew it didn't fit into a traditional role mm -hmm. um there was really no one for me to talk to at that point in time so I just kind of stumbled through I got into advertising I was good at it because I was very creative and it allowed me to use my multiple skills and my intuitive nature so I did that for a number of years um, both as a consultant as an employee I was I was just sort of going along my life. Um, I was um, in my early 30s, I guess, just around 30. And I got a phone call from my uncle 
um, who I hadn't seen in many years. He said my father had had a massive heart attack and he was expected to die. And did we want to see him one last time? So I went to Pennsylvania, I walked in, he was unconscious, and I had been studying um, healing arts. I had been working with therapeutic touch and Reiki and crystals and just all kinds of energy work at that point. I was really kind of getting into energy work then. So I sat down with him and I started doing energy work on him. And the nurse came in and asked whether we wanted to do dialysis. And I just said, no, we signed all the do not resuscitate orders. And my uncle left and I sat there uh, alone with my father and he didn't know I was there. And I just started doing energy work on him. And I left, I came back the next day. And in about a week, he came out of his coma. And uh, about two, about a month later, he came out of the hospital. And I spent the last year of his life when he was leaving the hospital. I, um, you know, I asked him how he was doing. I asked the doctors how he was doing. The doctors said, we don't know how he's walking out of here because he shouldn't be walking out. And my father said, I just want one year with you kids to make up for our childhoods, you know, which you really can't because yeah. if you have an alcoholic parent as a child, there's, there's nothing you can do to change that. But I think what, what it helped me taking care of my father that last year was it gave me an understanding of who he was as a man and not as the father that I needed him to be. I no longer needed him as a father, so I was able to have a little bit more perspective, and that you know offered a lot of forgiveness for him and for me, and it allowed me to kind of work with the rest of my family to bring us all back together again. And he died, like literally almost a day to the, you know, a, a year to the day that he said he wanted one more year. And um, three days after that, I heard a voice say, go to Sedona. And that was the first time I came to Sedona. And Sedona is a very spiritual place. And I came here with no idea why I was coming here, how long I was staying. I had no reservations anywhere. Um, long story short, I ended up staying for five months and had all kinds of mystical experiences that kind of reawoke all of my childhood spirituality. It was literally just came spewing out of me. And I learned who I really was again, um, without all the cultural conditionings of who, you know, my family told me I was and my friends told me I was and my job told me I was. And so when I went back to New York, like five months later, when I was doing advertising, I knew I just couldn't go back to the corporate world. I knew that I had to participate in the world in a more meaningful way. And I wanted to bring consciousness into business. So I started working in conscious business practices and with small companies like solar energy companies and organic companies and leaders that were trying to change the world in positive ways. And I did that for a number of years um, and eventually became the world's first chief consciousness officer, uh, working for a global marketing consultancy and working with the CEOs and CMOs of Fortune 100 companies trying to bring to them what I call the human technologies of wisdom, intuition, compassion, empathy, forgiveness, and gratitude. And I thought it was really important that we start learning these as technologies and understand how powerful they are to us. So, you know, that was kind of um, my transition from straight corporate advertising into uh, conscious business practices. And then it just evolved from there. The book came out. Uh, it's a whole crazy story. The, I started hearing the voice of an all-black Southern woman while I was working on a project one day and started writing down her words. And um, it took me two years, but I ended up channeling uh, my novel, Trusting the Currents, which, is, which are all African-American characters. And um, I put the book away for a year when I finished channeling it because I thought it was completely crazy. What am I writing? This white woman from New York writing about a black Southern family. And mm -hmm. I didn't think anyone would listen to me. And then about a year into it, Addie Mae came back and started telling me I had to start editing it. And it took me eight years to edit it. <laughs> hey, I'm totally with you on that one. I have a book almost written and it could do with some editing. But let's reverse back up a little bit, okay? So uh, we'll talk about the book in a, in a minute, but I want to go back to okay. the doula thing because, you know, we're very familiar with a birthing doula and we now yes. have death doulas, which are getting more and more common. Yes. So um, the consciousness doula. So I guess what exactly is consciousness? OK, I know 
it kind of envelops a whole range of things, doesn't it? Can yeah, you explain it's a it to big us? Question. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, no one actually really knows. So all we can do is go by our own experience, our own life journey, our own intuition. And, you know, for me, it's, um, it's like a giant landscape and consciousness is everything. There's, ex there's exo consciousness, which involves aliens. There's earth consciousness, which involves the earth. There's um, individual consciousness, there's collective consciousness. So it's a very wide landscape. And I think we kind of create our own life platforms on that um, on that on that landscape and we decide this is what it is and for me in, in its simplest forms I would say consciousness is simply awareness it's a heightened awareness of who you are your environment what the potentialities of our world are I mean I I look at consciousness as a landscape of, of potentiality and yeah. Unless I have the experience, I don't call it truth, but I, it is a potential. Um, and, you know, consciousness is, I, I found that when you become conscious of something, it becomes conscious back of you. I've done this with insects and with trees and with people. And it's almost like your own consciousness awakens the consciousness in the other being that you are connecting to, whether it's a human or whether it's a plant. And um, I really felt that the most important thing that we need it right now, more than anything, were people really expanding their consciousness, getting out of their own heads, um, moving into the heart. I'm very much about heart consciousness. For me, it's sort of like a big donkey too. And you can, you can believe in consciousness that's the head of the donkey or the foot of the donkey. But for me, I pin my tail on the heart because it's really important that all consciousness comes through the heart for it to be the most meaningful for humanity. Mm -hmm. um, so, Could we yeah. say that, because it is kind of stuff even people will still be saying, but I don't really get what it is. And could you say that it's like awareness without expectation? And what I mean by that is being aware of who you are and your place without thinking I should be this or I should be that. Exactly. Consciousness yeah. doesn't have a right or a wrong. It, it's not. It's not polarity. I mean, yeah. we can go into a polarized place in a, in a space of consciousness, but true consciousness doesn't have judgment. It doesn't have shame. It just exists as a field for us to create from. And so the 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 best we can to expand that field and to accept the unknown because everything wonderful that comes from our world comes from someone venturing into the unknown within yes. their own consciousness so if if you know something that's nice but really where your growth is is what you don't know and what i have found in all of my decades on this earth working in this world whether i knew it or not it's is that we don't like you you don't know what you don't know. Like the more I've, the more I've learned, the less I know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're all the same. A hundred percent. We're all the same. Um, I suppose, and I know that the simple answer to this question would be there's limited possibilities because I was going to ask you, how can being aware of our consciousness be of help to us? How can it change our lives? Um, and yes, while I say the smart answer could be there's limitless possibilities there, um, without telling us any um, details about people that you help, is there an example that you can give people of how, you know, connecting with their consciousness um, and being aware of their consciousness, how can that help their life? Well, I think it's because they become aware of parts of themselves they didn't see before. And, you know, a lot of people expand into consciousness during times of suffering. Suffering is a huge awakener. It pushes be, be, because it pushes you out of where you already are into these unknown places. So I, I think in any kind of work in consciousness, and you know, I, I actually call I call myself a consciousness doula because I want them to exist. Just like when I started in, in consciousness, chief consciousness officer, I wanted that to exist within the corporate structure because I believe that we have to have conversations around consciousness if we can't talk about it if we can't um 
be in that space together without judgment, without thinking that we're right or wrong about what we believe is consciousness, because like I said, we don't really know. But I think it's really important that we work together in just allowing ourselves to move into places that we are uncomfortable in. And out of that, we, we will expand our, our beliefs about things in the world, um, which is right now really important. <laughs> Because I was just thinking that as you were talking. So it can help us in that way. But I'm very conscious or very aware because you were talking about it, that you've used this as well to help companies and businesses. So um, how does it help in that regard? So as as people, obviously, we can, you know, expand our consciousness. We can become more aware of the world around us, of our place in the world, Mm -hmm. all that. And with a, a company in a business perspective, how can it help? Well, in a business perspective, it, it expands the, you are, you are thinking in very um, modeled ways in business. You know, there's all, there's all models for doing everything. And, what consci- and working in consciousness, again, allows you to break through those models and allows you to go into places that you didn't normally want to go. It also opens your heart up because you can't really be in a space of consciousness without your heart opening up. And particularly mm-hmm. if you're working with human consciousness, the heart is really the activator for all of those human technologies that I talked about. So, you know, what I try to always do, I mean, there's very practical ways of working with consciousness, which is I'm very intuitive. So I could be in a meeting and I could tell that someone's not telling the truth. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's one way of working with with our consciousness or I could or I just have an intuition that we need to speak about something that's not being spoken about or I could move into a very um, sort of intimate conversation with someone that I normally wouldn't have been able to have that conversation with because I'm speaking to them through their own consciousness mm-hmm. um, so it could be used in multiple ways and with me I'm very frequency driven I everything is frequency every sound every color so I use these when I was putting together presentations, when I'm putting together teams of people, I would go with the frequency of the people because I would say, okay, this person and this person will go together because their frequencies are aligned or they're, or they're resonant. Whereas this person and this person, their frequencies are dissonant. So I don't want to put them together. Um, so, so, you know, consciousness just allows you to see things that, I always say, like, you see what you don't see, you hear what you don't hear, and you know what you don't know. It just brings you into another plane of existence where there's way more opportunity um, for success. But you have to accept it. And with consciousness comes the requirement of integrity (laughs) and truth. Yeah, of course. Of course, with with everything. I think I'm getting it now. Okay, a little bit thick. (laughs) So you've got the consciousness, and part of it is your intuition, and part of it is bursting through that fear barrier. The I can't or I shouldn't. So there's the or two just, different elements. Don't even know. Like this is what I know. This is what I yes. know. But yes. you actually know a lot more. You just yeah. don't know what you don't know. So working with consciousness and you know, people can wake up in way many different ways. They can wake up through suffering, they could um, wake up through meditation. You know, they can wake up because someone is teaching them. They have a great teacher who's teaching them. But once you wake up and you do break out of that little consciousness bubble that you've been living in, and all of a sudden you're in this new landscape, you can't go back. You never go back because once you know more than you thought you knew, you don't want to go back. Um, So you have to start finding other people that are on your same level of consciousness because the people that you generally have been with won't like that you're changing and they will try to pull you back into a more negative confined space and very often when you first start waking up you will be alone you won't know anyone around you and there there seems to be part of that that's i'm not sure why that is but almost everyone i talk to once they start waking up from their limited belief systems there's a period of being alone that they have to kind of traverse it's that leap of faith um but in the meantime you know there's podcasts like yours i mean there's there there are spaces you can go so that for a temporary period of time you don't feel like you're crazy 
Yeah. And then <laughs> I am crazy. <laughs> people will tell you I am. I know. Eventually, you start finding other people that think like you, and then that kind of solidifies it, and it makes it more normal. And you know, I think we're all on this planet going into this expanded consciousness space. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this darkness is coming up because it's being released. Mm-hmm. And so it has to be seen. We have to witness it. And most of it's coming out of us. You know, I always tell people, if you have a big conflict with someone, you got to find that conflict within yourself because they're just reflecting back something that's in you. Yeah. Um, but it's, um, it's really important that people, you know, just spend time with themselves. I think technology has done a disservice. Um, social media has done a disservice. People don't spend enough time just sitting with themselves and finding out who they are. Yeah, I agree 100%. And, mm-hmm. you know, I love the way you talk about, you know, because we can use consciousness, but I'm also aware that we're raising the vibration. And Dolores Cannon used to talk a lot about this, about us raising the vibration of the planet and bringing people with us that we should never go alone and all of it. So this is actually feeding in. So I'm starting to get it now. Thank you. <laughs> and can you talk a bit, because um, I've heard you before and you've talked a lot about the global transformation. So when you said you were aware of it. It's all tied in. It's it's all tied in. You know, consciousness, our our expanding consciousness is tied into the global transformation. We wouldn't be transforming if people weren't waking up all around the world out of their kind of, you know, kind of comas of thinking that there's only a certain way that the world is. Everything is black and white. Everything is hard or soft i mean everything is just one way or another this very mm-hmm. po- polarized world and you know truth is very unpolarized because you can take one truth and everyone can see it from a different angle and they're all right but you know i feel and it's i'm not alone but again like this is my experience and a lot of people don't experience this and and i try to you know tell people to to understand what this global transformation is. If you're not part of it, if you're not part of it yet, you will be eventually, most likely. But um, if you're not part of it yet, it's like looking at a frozen lake and someone telling you that there's all this life in the lake and you're just looking at the ice going, I don't see anything. It's just frozen. But if you go below below the ice, you have all these currents and all this life and all this dynamic movement happening and for those of us that are part of this global transformation there's so much dynamic movement going on there's there's so much change happening and there's so much positivity you know there is so much negativity on many many levels you know mm-hmm. particularly if you're watching media and you just stay in mainstream existence it's very kind of dark but if you open yourself up to your own vulnerabilities to your own humanity to your own heart and you connect in with other people who are also stumbling around trying to figure all this out, um, you'll have a completely different experience and it'll change the direction of your life. Um, and the transformation is that we are all being elevated to another state and the world is going to change. It's probably going to be decades before it really happens. I, don't, I mean, people say different things, you know, we're going to have this moment flash and everything is going to be fine. It's possible, like I said, I, consciousness is a, is a landscape of possibility, but I think most likely just in, in the process of becoming something new that we as a species and we as a civilization have never been before, and that's what the global transformation is. Um, and once you do wake up to it and you do say, I like where we could go, I like being in love more than in fear, yeah. then you start connecting to other people that feel the same way and you support each other. I mean, it's a very supportive environment on the other side of um, all the polarity. I know it, it's it's tough getting there. And, you know, what would you say to people? Because I know everybody that's listening isn't going to be able to ring you up and ask you. But, you know, for people who are thinking, you know, there must be more to life. Is there something that they can do on a daily basis, apart from switching off their televisions and their computers? Is there something that they can do on a daily basis to make themselves more aware of the energy around them or, you know, what their own abilities or consciousness is? 
What's the first thing that you well, tell I mean, people? I think, I, think, I think meditation is good. I personally don't meditate because I just can't get my head around it. But mm-hmm. but I know that it's very successful. It's very successful for people that do learn how to meditate. You can work with sound therapies. I mean, there's all kinds of um, frequencies and, you know, binaural beats that can help put you in an altered state. Um, I'm a believer in plant medicine for the people that that's right for because it helps open you up to new ideas, but you have to be working with a really sacred shaman to work with that medicine properly. Mm -hmm. Um, sit under a tree, talk to the tree. What we have to do is, is allow ourselves to believe outside of our belief system. If you don't believe that tree can hear you and you don't believe you have a connection to that tree, you don't. Yeah. But if you sit at that tree and you talk to that tree and you ask that tree for support, you'd be surprised that eventually that tree will start communicating to you. It's not going to speak to you, mm-hmm. but you'll start having intuitive experiences. Maybe you'll start doing some automatic writing. You know, sit time sometimes all by yourself and just start writing what comes to your head, no matter what it is. Don't judge anything. I and mean, I think our our self-judgment and our external judgments are so powerful to us that it stops us from really believing the things that we believe. You know, when I started writing the book and I started hearing that voice, um, I could have very easily said, this is just crazy. What am I doing? Uh, I'm just having a bad day. I'm hearing this voice and, and gone on and forgotten about it. And then I wouldn't have had the book. But I think most people have these moments of insight and intuition and magic, but they're subtle and they don't recognize them. And they're so caught up in their normal lives that they don't give that moment an opportunity to germinate. So I would say, slow down, you know, pay attention to the details of things, pay attention to a tree when you walk by it, look at the leaves, look at the veins on the leaves, you know, pay attention to insects. I mean, I live here with a, we have a lot of lizards and I talk to the lizards all the time. And when I started talking to the lizards, they started listening. Now, they don't speak back, mm-hmm. but they, they started paying attention to me. When I walk out now, the lizards come to see me. Mm-hmm. But if I hadn't done that, if I hadn't thought that was possible, then I never would have taken the actions. You know, And it's, it's, it is about taking action, too. And you yeah. really have to you know, work at... Um, doing the things that that are not in your same pattern. You know, maybe if you drive to work one way, maybe drive to work another way. Maybe walk someplace instead of drive. I mean, change your patterns because our the patterns of our life are, are the scaffolding that hold up our energetic frequencies. So if we're in this great life, then no, we don't we want to keep the patterns there. But if we don't like our lives that much or we want them to be different, we need to change the scaffolding around the the patterns we have to break the small patterns so that our bigger patterns can start shifting i love that and i love the connections with things because you know, that's what people did years ago you know yeah. they connected with nature they connected with animals i know there are still people who connect with nature and animals but not on such a great scale as they would have done in the past so mm-hmm. i love the thought of getting back to that you know and turning off the telly and not listening to what everyone's shouting at you and just following your own gut you know your own intuition is is really to get to your own inner resonance yes you have to get because most people don't even know who they are anymore because they've been told from the time they were children who they are what they believe culture changes them media changes them so they don't know and it's only when you step away from all that and you're and you allow yourself to sit in in a little bit of fear and trauma because the first thing that comes up when you start spending time alone is discomfort because the traumas that you have pushed down your entire life that you probably are totally unconscious of will start coming up and when that happens people try to repress them again instead of just sitting there and just allow yourself to feel whatever discomfort you feel and observe it but don't take action on it don't judge it just look at it just pay attention to it because it's not who you are it's an experience that you're having and you know i have this kind of 
hack that I do for myself. And I started doing it. I took care of my mother for nine years. It was 24-7 care. It was hell. So um, I used all the tools I could in my consciousness world, and it. I still was failing miserably. So I got to the point one time where I was, I would end up overreacting to situations because I was so stressed out. So I got, so I got to the point where one day I started getting really upset about something and I stopped myself and I just observed myself getting upset. And I looked at my hand and I said, is this true? Like, is the way I'm feeling about myself true? And then I sat for a minute, you know, is it true to this moment? Um, And I realized, you know, it's not really true. What I'm doing is I'm pulling a memory from the past of stress and trauma and I'm bringing it into the present and then I'm projecting it into the future. So I am, without knowing what was going to happen, I was actually creating that event to happen. So I went, okay, it's not true. So if, if that's not true, what is true? And I look at my other hand and I thought about something really good that was going on in my life. And I said, okay, this is, this is a good thing. Like, I'm, I'm happy about this. Um, I'm, I'm in a comfortable place right now. You know, I, I'm not going to be in the bad situation. And then I took, and then I take one small action. And at the time it was like, I needed, I was not healthy because I was so exhausted. So I went and made myself a green juice. So that was a small action I took. And I found that in, taking my attention away from that terrible thing that I was so positive was going to happen and refocusing my attention on something good that was happening in my life and something positive and then taking one tiny action towards that thing, the insanity of that fear and that negative thing evaporated like a fog. And I realized how we create these awful scenarios for ourselves that really are never going to happen. But we put so much attention on them that we just need to refocus and put our attention on the good things because we could grow them the same way. And that's like that's real mind over matter, because if I thought something bad was going to happen, I immediately go into panic mode and I make it happen. It's almost like I manifest it, you know. So that's like that's real kind of consciousness and and mind control to pull your thoughts back. It's a practice. You can't. I mean, consciousness is a practice. We practice. It's an open field. We have to practice these things. Um, the reason we believe what we believe, we didn't find one experience. They were over and over put into our psyche. What we believe, the things that are happening, it was, it was a, we were programmed. So we really are trying to unprogram ourselves through an expanded sense of consciousness so that we could see that we're not just what we were told we were. We're someone way different. We're being way different. And we'll never truly know until we die what that I is. I always say that. Yeah. Always so, say that. But yeah, we were brought up and, you know, you, you know, you grow up, you get, as women, you get a certain amount of education, then you get married and you raise children and you have the dinner ready for your husband and all this kind of stuff. And like, that's not what we're here for. We give so much more to the world and I'm not getting on a feminist rant or anything like that. But, you know, we have our own reasons for being here. We have our own things that we need to do, not just raise other humans, you know, so yeah. um, well, you know, here for us. us. We're not here for other people. Our souls are here for us. For us. We yeah. bounce into other people. We bounce into our kids. We bounce into our husbands. Mm-hmm. We bounce into our friends. We share our journey together for literally seconds. Yes. Because we're not here that long. Of course. <laughs> and yeah. I mean, time is the big time, isn't it? Big time. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about now. Your book is a multi award winning book. And I know that you. Um, you worked with a spirit guide, is that right? An African American lady? Um, I don't know who she was because I had been getting what I would call high knowledge my entire life, which is basically just downloads of knowledge. Mm-hmm. But it, so I would know things. Um, but I never heard a voice. There was never really like a voice attached. It was just it was just knowledge. And this this was a voice, and it was a very clear African American voice, and. You know, I read in my book the first, her first words were, it's not what happened to me that matters. And I was working on a project. I was on my computer back in New York working on a project. And I heard the, 
I heard her voice and it was like she was standing next to me and I never had that experience before. So I just wrote down her that sentence and I just sat there and then she continued to speak. I think I wrote two paragraphs, two or three paragraphs that first time. She, she left and I was, okay, that's kind of weird, but I just went back to work and, you know, because I've, you know, I've had unusual things happen to me most of my life. So it was just another thing that I thought was, I was sort of passing through. And, um, but then a few days later, I felt her again, because I, I literally felt her presence. It was a, a visceral experience. Um, and then I went back to where she had left off. And so for two years, um, every time I felt her, I would go back and she would always pick up where she left off. So I would never know where the story was going until I was writing it. I didn't know I was writing a book for a year. I just had this very deep compulsion to write. And it felt like I used to call it the indigo abyss because it felt like I was, it always felt the place that she was writing from was indigo. And it would be this feeling when she first came, it would be very uncomfortable. It would feel cold. I feel like, oh, I don't want to jump into this cold water. And, but I would jump into the cold water and I would be, and then eventually I'd hit a warm current and then we would start writing. And I would usually write for three or four hours in the morning. It usually happened in the morning and then she'd be gone. And if I tried to write more, it would be awful. So, cause I never expected to be a writer. Um, and like I said, I did this for about two years and she brought me back to Sedona. Sedona plays a huge role in the book because nature plays a big role in the book. And, all the nature experiences I had here um, were kind of ended up in the book and the dragonfly, which is the icon for the character and is on the cover. Um, that was based on the experience I had with the dragonfly because when I was writing her story, I used to be able to call dragonflies to me and they would land on my finger. Mm -hmm. I can't do that anymore, but it was a very mystical, the channeling of her story, those two years was ext were extremely mystical. All kinds of things happened mm -hmm. to me. But then she left and all those mystical things disappeared and I put the book away. I said, this is crazy. I need to go back to work. And about a year later, um, I just felt her and she was like, you need to start working on this now. And the book originally was written in heavy Southern black dialect, the whole book. Wow. But I had to make book. Yeah, it was very weird because I had never spent much time in the South at all. Um, so I had sent the, the first draft to some people I knew in the South. So just to make sure I wasn't totally insulting people because I didn't mm -hmm. know anything about my Southern accent, but they said it was on target. So um, for eight years, I tried changing, you know, working with the editing of it. And then I would give up because I'd say, this is crazy. I'm not a writer. I put it away for a while. And then something would always happen to bring me back to the book. It would always be kind of a drum roll every time she brought me back and um and I also was writing I, I I embedded a energetic frequency in the writing so there's a certain cadence to the writing so that when people read it particularly if you're a specific frequency um not everyone feels this but a lot of people do when they read it they it brings them into their heart and it brings them into their own story. So as Addie Mae is telling you her story, because it's narrated by Addie Mae Aubrey, um, she's telling your own story. So people feel their own story within her. And it took me, I said, eight years to edit it. And then I decided, and I was in the middle of taking care of my mother at the time, which was very intense. And all of a sudden I realized it was ready to be published. And I had to decide what to do with it. Do I try to find a publisher? Do I self-publish it? And I figured, who is going to publish a book by a middle-aged, white debut spiritual novelist? Um, so I decided to self-publish it. It took me a year and a half. It was very difficult. Um, but I did it. And um, I didn't do anything with it for a couple of years because I was taking care of my mother. But it ended up, it's won 13 book awards so far. And it's been in Amazon Best Inspirational Fiction. And the reviews have been phenomenal. Um, I thought it was going to be a book for mostly for women because it has all these, you know, powerful women characters, but almost half my reviews on Amazon are from men, um, who don't realize, yeah, it's been, it's been, that's been one of the most fascinating things about it, um, mm -hmm. is that the diversity of people who read it, I have had 
all different ages. In fact, my first review was from, was from an Anglican priest in England. Really? Um, who, yes, three days after the book came out, I hadn't even told my yeah. friends it was out. Somehow he found it via Twitter, and he downloaded it onto iTunes, and he emailed me and said, oh my God, like this book is exactly what I'm teaching in my parish. And he compared it to Mary Oliver's writing. And he, and I said, oh, you know, thank you. Would you mind writing a review? And so he became my first review on Amazon was from an Anglican priest. I love that. Like, you know, things find the people that they're supposed to find and something within that book resonated with him and he needed to to hear it. It's like um, I read a book and I'm always talking about it, Seven Steps to Eternity by Stephen Turov. Again, it was um, dictated to him by a a spirit and Mm -hmm. um, it it was written like back in the 70s or something. And my mother got it for me in an antique bookstore when I was a teenager. But... um, when I read it, everything within the book resonated with me because it was what spirit had been telling me for all those years. But to see it coming from somebody else, and I'm sure he felt the same. So is it fiction or is it her story? Well, it's fiction. Um, the funny thing is, is Kirkus, who's the, which is a big uh, review company, like all the books, that's like the, the most um, uh, successful book book review company um and they actually gave me a beautiful review but they called it a memoir and i actually called them and here i am i'm a white woman writing from all black characters so i called them after they had given me the review they compared it to beloved and the color purple so it was a beautiful review but i said it's not a memoir i said i'm white (laughs) it's actually a novel and they said well we can't change it because the reviewer thought it was a memoir so fiction because it's not my story. I mean, part of it's my, I have a prologue and an epilogue, which are my story. The The prologue is my story about how the book came to me and my journey in writing it. Mm-hmm. And the epilogue is what I learned from writing this book and what I've learned from the journey with Addie Mae, because she's really been the most influential person in my life is, has Well, it really is a memoir her. then. You were just the ghostwriter. I, I was kind of a ghostwriter because she really wanted me to tell the story. And I don't know, um, she's actually named, which I know it's not her, but she's actually named after Addie Mae Collins. Addie Mae Collins was one of the four little girls that was murdered in the Birmingham church bombings in 1963. There were four black little girls and a white guy blew up the church and killed these four little girls. And um, when I was trying to find, she gave me her last name, Aubrey, right away. But for a year, I couldn't get her name from her. She kept, I kept changing her first name. It never felt right. Then it was the anniversary of the Birmingham church bombing that killed the four little girls. And they had the pictures of the four little girls on television. Um, and they had just caught the guy that had done it like 30 years before. And as soon as I saw the picture of Addie Mae Collins, I was, it was literally like a shock to my heart. I said, that is Addie Mae. So for the rest of the time that I wrote the book, I, I had a photograph of Addie Mae Collins taped to my computer and I wrote to her and she became, um, I really feel like somehow her spirit was infused, even though she died when she was, I think, 12 or 14 years old. Um, I felt this connection to her. I'm not familiar with that case. I'm presuming it's Birmingham, Alabama or something, is it? It's a big, it was a big deal in in the states yeah it was it was when you know these guys were just you know killing everybody down south and they blew up a church and they killed four little girls and um they you know maimed a bunch of others um addie may collins was it terrorism or hate hate yeah they just hated black people oh i thought it was like a christianity thing or something no it was black it was racist these were racist Okay. Yes, oh, that's we terrible. racist here, <laughs> and you know, it's gotten better, but it's still there's you know terrible. Yeah, this is yeah, ter- the world. Yeah, there is terrible, terrible things that happen in this world, and uh, anyway, I don't know. If you were to try and think about everything and why it's happening, you really would. Um, I mean, you wouldn't sleep at night, really, when you, if you were to try well, and process everyone's trauma is so deeply embedded, and they're not in touch with it. So instead of dealing with their own pain, 
it turns into venom and they spit it at other people because, you know, happy people aren't mean. Happy people don't hate. You only hate when you're miserable. And if you're miserable and you don't know why you're miserable and you don't know that you can actually allow that hatred and that venom from your personal trauma to come out and heal it, um, you're just going to find people that allow you to express it because it wants to come out of your body. You know, that like kind of stuff. Is, it is. It needs to come out. So you just choose a group. You know, you, you, you become hateful towards one group, yeah. a belief system, you know, gay, like whatever it is, yeah. it doesn't matter. You just have to find some place to, you know, to place your, your hatreds and your fears. And um, that was, you know, you know, back in the early 60s and the 50s, this is when we were just beginning to wake up here in this country. And uh, yeah, it was extremely, extremely tragic. And, um, but yeah, I felt a very strong connection to Eddie Mae Collins. Um, and I feel like she was speaking to me somehow. Um, even though I know it wasn't her. So I don't really know who Addie Mae Collins, I mean, Addie Mae Aubrey was. Um, and, you know, something tells me that she was another energy and she just came through. I used to ask her, like, why me? Like, of all the people in this Word. country, to book, like, why would you pick a non-writer, white woman from New York to write this story? And she was <laughs> me that's exactly why to show what two women who share the same compassionate spirit can accomplish when they come together. And that we all, you know, we, we should be celebrating our differences because wherever we come from, we won't have those differences anymore. And, you know, we're like little popping up and we should be looking at each other like, oh, look what you are this time. <laughs> I love it. Well, if you're talking to Addie Mae, would you please ask her to send me a spirit guide to help me finish my book? Because I'm losing the, I'm losing the will to live because I am not a writer either. <laughs> and I could use some spiritual intervention. Are you writing have, a novel or are you writing, are, are you writing a novel or are you writing I'm a calling it, book? The working title is The Book of Me. <laughs> That's not ah, what it's going to be called. Yes, it's a bit of um, kind of growing up, um, you know, with family that were spiritual and my, um, you know, what I experienced growing up. Um, so I've kind of, I suppose I've been working on it for maybe five or six years now. But everybody say, when is that book coming out? And I'm saying, when I have the strength to finish it. <laughs> and I keep yeah, saying that it will come out when it wants to come out. That's one thing I've true. learned from this book is these kinds of books that are spiritually inclined and, and have that kind of engine behind them because they do have their own engine um when i try to lead the book when i try to have it go somewhere when i try to it falls flat i just have to allow it I and mean, this book has been out now for eight years and it's it's actually more relevant now than it was when it came out and i keep being told that just to allow the book to be when it wants, how it wants, because it is divine timing and it doesn't, it's not on our timing. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you may want to tap into um, the little girl in you, you know, tap into that little girl that lived that life and ask her to help you because she has memories and she has knowledge and wisdom um, probably that she wants to share. But, um, but I think it'll, it'll happen when it's supposed to happen. Um, it's and not it's like, like writing. A there's days where I'll sit down and write, you know, 10,000 words and then I'll go months without writing anything. So <laughs> I get there. It's just been busy. I have one last yeah. question for you. OK, <laughs> because I love anybody who's made this transition from like a corporate world or in inverted commas, what we call the normal world into the holistic or into the spiritual side. And I know that there's going to be several people, if not more listening, that have been kind of tethering on the edge. Will I do it? Won't I do it? I'm in the safe, pensionable job. You know, what advice would you give to them? Um, well, I think you really have to get to know yourself. This is the reason why you want to become more conscious because yeah. <laughs> you can't make that decision unless you really have you really tap into that inner resonance within you that knows the truth. Um, you can't listen to the outside world. Um, if you know that you can't just quit because you're miserable in your job, you have to quit because you know that you're supposed to be doing something else. And what is that thing? And, you know, 
most likely it's not going to be easy. You know, leaving leaving the the platform of a corporate environment is not an easy decision. No. You just do it because you know you're not supposed to be there anymore. But it's would be way better if you had something else to go to or that you were going you were going to be working with other people on. I mean, I think it really is an individual thing. I don't think I don't think you should take it lightly because you are going to be leaping into the unknown. And I think it's probably a good idea to, to try other leaps into the unknown first, unless you, again, like you just have this feeling like I knew I had to go. I was just, I was confined and I'm not going to tell you that it hasn't been up and down because when you walk away from the way everyone else is living, Mm-hmm. you step away from from the security of that you but you also step away from from the prison of that um so it's it's really about what's more important to you if safety is the most important thing then you stay if you really want freedom freedom to me was more important than money my freedom was more important than money and you know sometimes i've gone like what was i thinking but i always come back to thank god i did that because I know myself more. Um, I am in complete control of my own life, whether it goes up or down. I know it's my life and no one is directing it for me. Um, And I've connected to these huge communities of people all over the world that have left the mainstream existence and are now pushing off the shore and creating new things. I mean, people are creating new platforms and new businesses and new ways of interacting and new ideas for economy and new ideas for foods and community. And there's enormous amount going on, but I would do, uh, you know, I would get to know yourself first. Um, You don't push off because you're not happy where you are. You push off because that you want yeah, I agree. Linda, thank you so much. There's so much for us to digest in there. And for those listening, I'm going to put the link to Linda's book in the, the description box attached to this podcast. Linda, do you have a website or how do people contact you? Yeah, I have a website. It's um, www.lindapolio.com. And I'm on all the social media as well. Um, Perfect. Although I'm not a big social media person, I do know it's important. So I'm on that as well. And um, So if you give found. me all the links, I'll pop them in the description box below. Okay. So if anybody wants to get okay. in contact with you and the link to your book as well, um, because okay. it's a great read. Linda, all thank right, you so, so much for joining yeah. us. And guys, yeah, really for those great. of you listening, I will see you on the next episode. And until then, stay safe. Discussing everything